And a lot of the best commercial opportunities to get started in that you can flip or assign a contract to, they're not going to be on CoStar, LoopNet, or on MLS, things like that. They're going to be something that you drive by and see that they just closed. Welcome to the Good Stewards Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to seasoned real estate investors who want to maximize the cash flow potential in their business. We are buy and hold investors with a thousand plus properties and markets across the U.S. who bring an insider's view into the nitty gritty details of real estate investing. If you're looking to develop the mindset, teams, and systems that can dramatically build your real estate business and net worth, you're in the right place. Welcome to this episode of the Good Stewards Podcast. I'm Ryan Dossie. I'm Amanda Perkins. I'm Bill Sirius. And I'm Andrew Sirius. Welcome everyone to the Good Stewards Podcast. Today we are going into niches again, although we're going into a niche that none of us have actually really done a lot in, but we have a guest who has. Uh, Thomas Kaufman is with Miracle Real Estate Partners, specializes in finding deals, particularly car washes, gas stations, and small strip malls. Do I have that right, Thomas? That's right. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for joining us. Um, how is commercial real estate right now? Um, we've talked <laughs> a lot about the residential market and the market at all, uh, but commercial real estate, given the pandemic, the lockdowns, uh, what is going on? What are people's thoughts going uh, going forward right now? Well, as you can imagine, it's been crazy, just like everything else. A lot of time has been spent, you know, digging people out of the ditch. You know, there's been, you know, uh, leases put on hold rent that hadn't been paid, developments that hadn't been filled. Um, It's been crazy, but I think that we're coming out of this now and excited to see where this is going to head. Do you, is that the general feeling? Is that your thought that like, this is a more of a speed bump than a long-term problem? Or is this like going to have it? Do you think this is going to have repercussions that are going to last the rest of the year? Or is it just one of those predictions or well, they're like something. Everybody has them. <laughs> right. No, I think I think it's a speed bump. But I think in some sense, there's a silver lining. It's retraded the market in a lot of ways. Uh, some people have gotten more realistic and, and they were in a position where they're making a lot of money and, and poor operators were having some luck. And so this has kind of shown true colors. It's also exposed people that have been leveraged with a lot of debt and the ones that are that are well capitalized and able to make it through a, a speed bump like this, if you want to call it that, I think will be postured for a lot of success in the upcoming years. That's a good point. I think a lot of bull markets do tend to make uh, mediocre investors think they're geniuses. Um, <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> that is, that is I, definitely... I'm just good. winning. I can't do anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, I made 12% last year. The market went up 15. Okay, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, although recessions are, and I think we are going to be in some sort of recession. I'm not sure how deep one. Mm-hmm. Um, recessions are when great investors really make a lot of money. It's like you're saying, those who are well capitalized, those who are not over leveraged, uh, whichever niche you're in, are the ones that uh, can take advantage of these situations because the bad operators lose out. They either got to sell at a discount or perhaps get foreclosed on. Stuff is, assets are cheap. And whether it be a car wash or a single family resident, it's still an asset. It's still cheap. Uh, recessions are where you can make uh, really make big gains, but uh, they're also also kind of scary to go through, <laughs> to say Absolutely. the least. 
It's kind of like a roller coaster, right? Like you're on the ride, but you can't get off, <laughs> right? So, Thomas, I've got a I've got a question for you. Um, I'm I'm curious if you've seen any any increase in vacancy, and if if so, I mean, it would seem to me that a lot of businesses realized they don't need an office. That yes. their employees can work from home, and for a lot of for a lot of small businesses I know, their number one expense has been their their office or their retail space. So if that's potentially transitioning to like more online, it almost makes me wonder if some things are potentially overbuilt a little bit. If things are going to go more back into home based environments, I couldn't agree more with you, Ryan. I think it's it's forced us to be more creative from Zoom calls to join me or just interactive screen sharing, it, it is going to create a lot of um, vacancy if it hasn't already. From an office standpoint, I think people are consolidating their expenses and not using office space as much. From a retail perspective, it's opened up a tremendous amount of opportunity for people that want to get into the restaurant business, taking over a second generation space that's gone out of business. Um, Nashville specifically, Austin, Denver, you know, these markets that we're in, all of us, it's been so tight. And for any of these retail operators to get into a really good location, they've had to pay crazy rent numbers. And, and um, now they're able to get into some of these second generation spaces. I think that's one thing people don't realize with commercial and particularly restaurants with good locations. I've got a friend of mine who's an incredible chef in LA and uh, he was telling me he used to have a spot down in Venice beach and it was like by no means like the best location, but his rent was like 30, $40,000 a month. Wow. And it's like, that's a lot of food and alcohol <laughs> you've got to sell. Um, you know, but before you come out on top, I, I also think one of the one of the other interesting changes that I've seen, uh, I forget the name of it, but there was a like buffet chain that went out of business. And, you know, I think that that business model probably died from this of that, like, get your own food, you know, salad bar type type of thing. You know, people always knew it was like a little gross, but I think, you know, the country <laughs> as a whole probably got a little bit more like germaphobia. Uh, I forget which which uh, what chain it was, but it was I mean like thousands of people they laid off and they just said wow. like our business model is no longer viable. Well, I think people are gonna get over it. I mean they got over it after the Spanish flu. They'll get over it again. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew just misses his all you can eat seafood in <laughs> so the Midwest. Yeah, I. <laughs> hey, I went through the Spanish flu and we didn't get it over that that quickly. <laughs> well, I think I think the other problem you have is you have social media now. Exactly. Right. So it's like, you know, you're really going to be like, hey, I'm at, uh, you know, Country Buffet. Like, probably not. <laughs> so I don't know. Do you think there's long-term obsolescence in certain, or not not complete obsolescence, but partial obsolescence in certain commercial categories because of, the, because of both online retail, namely the Amazon behemoth, and uh, and because of a move towards working at home, do you think certain classes of, of properties are going to be not obsolescent, but just like I uh, kind of Ryan was saying, oversupplied and maybe something to shift away from in the commercial space? I mean, no, it's like car washes and gas stations. I mean, you might need to 
transfer to electric or something like that. But those are not, you know, Amazon can't compete with that. And you can't work from home on a car wash. So th- those make sense to be kind of beat through the path there. But do you see like commercial real estate kind of moving away from certain areas in a long-term sense that people should be cautious about? I do. And some people might kill me for saying this. It's, <laughs> you know, the Amazon monster is a real thing, you know, in the retail sector and uh, brick and mortar retail in terms of soft goods, in terms of, you know, clothing, apparel, things like that have really taken a hit. And a lot of the online sales have actually gone up pretty, pretty tremendously uh, through this coronavirus. Um, And so I think that's one thing that'll be affected. I think restaurants has taken a tremendous hit. Anything with a high labor model um, is going to take a while to come back from. And, and to your point, the express car wash model where it's, it's low labor, um, gas convenience, these guys stayed open through the coronavirus that exposed who was a real operator and who got lucky. Um, I think those are going to continue to grow. I think it's been hot and I think uh, the multiples that they're trading at are really high and will remain high. I think you're, they, I mean, I'm sure they definitely saw a decrease, with just like not as many people on the road, not as many people going into the office. So what do I care what my car looks like? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think you, I don't know. I, I think one of the, I, I think for me, the thing that I hope comes out of coronavirus for people is just kind of like a reassessing of priorities Agreed. and of, of their, of their business model, of their lifestyle. I mean, if, if your employees are able to work from home successfully and they're happier and they get to spend more time with their kids and they're not commuting an hour a day. Now I'm, I'm speaking biased here because one of my companies, all of our employees work from home, but I think there's definitely going to be a move towards that. The, the interesting thing that I wonder if we'll see on the residential side is if people are able to work from home, they're not commuting as much will they be spending more on houses? Like, Hey, if I'm going to, if I'm going to be here all the time, I want it to be nice. I mean, I know I could, my wife and I are buying a house right now. And that was the decision we had. Uh, We've got a a newborn coming in a few months and it was like, okay, the likelihood of us getting out a whole bunch is probably pretty low. So let's buy somewhere that we're really going to enjoy being. Well, I think what's uh, what I hear around is that city centers are starting to take a hit and the suburbs where things are cheaper are probably drawing people there more readily because you can live there. You don't have to, if you don't have to commute in now to the city center to go to an office, you can set up an office in your suburban home. It seems like suburban and rural areas are actually going to, uh, you know, find themselves. Right for the Midwest. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's right. Everybody's going to be drawn to that. I don't know what that means all for commercial other than, you know, some city centers that have up till now been, you know, I mean, that's where millennials have flocked to urban areas in the kind of markets that you're talking about, Thomas. Um, are, are you seeing any trends along those lines at this point? You know, outside of growth, I, I haven't really seen much, Bill. I, um, I can see that coming in the future. I just haven't personally seen it myself. I think I think part of it is also like Thomas is in Nashville. 
which Tennessee is a pretty pro-business, small government kind of a state. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in the markets that were most heavily impacted by coronavirus. I mean, like I think uh, LA or the Bay Area announced like two or three more months, right? Um, I know with millennials, they ain't patient, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like, I think they're only going to take that for so long where like, even if, you know, say politically you're more left or you like more of like the downtown amenities at a certain point, it's like, okay, maybe I don't want to be in the city. Like maybe I want to be in like an Austin. Like I think Austin's a great example. Like it's, it's not on the water. It's like there's, but it's kind of just this neat, eclectic, artsy kind of a place similar to like a Nashville. For sure. Well, let's, uh, let's transition back. I mean, the pandemic and the market are kind of everybody's mind, but let's go back to the beginning. Like Thomas, how did you get started in commercial real estate and, and what do you specialize in exactly? I mean, we're talking about the grand market. Let's get down to the particulars for those who might be interested in getting involved in commercial real estate. Flipping some gas stations. How's it work? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I guess I got started in, in high school. Uh, my mom owned a residential real estate firm and worked out of the house, forced me to get my real estate license. And then I went on to uh, play football on a, on a full scholarship at Colorado State. Wanted to pursue the NFL and that worked out, that did not work out. So I fell back into real estate kind of by default and started with a company called Endeavor out of Austin that has developed probably 20 to 30 million square feet of retail at this point, shopping centers, um, which I was doing leasing for them and, and pad sales. And then had a guy call me that owned a, owned a car wash chain. He owned about 10 to 15 car washes and asked me to help him grow throughout the country, buying car washes and, and pieces of land to develop. And so I got to see, you know, Denver, Nashville, Austin, Los Angeles and and kind of dabble into different markets. And through that, I guess that's how I, I, I found the niche of car wash and gas and kind of special use in the commercial real estate sector and understood the low labor model. And, and a lot of these guys then asked me to do their dispositions. So kind of act as an acquisitions manager and dispositions manager when they have bigger portfolios trading these, or as like you say, flipping these to private equity groups, institutional buyers, and then, you know, one-off buyers in, in certain situations. When you say the low labor model, what what exactly are you, like what indicators are you looking for there? Sure. And so from a, a car wash perspective, there's like a full service where you get detail and you've got, let's say 30 employees and you're, you're paying a lot of labor. And, and you might have a higher gross revenue, but your your net income is going to be slimmer. Um, for the express car wash model, you only have two or three people. You have an automated tunnel, and you you know your margin. You might you might make fifty to sixty percent of what your gross revenue is on, on a take home, and so you're able to, if you want to exit, you're able to to sell this at a really high number, including the real estate. The biggest uh, hurdle is is advising these guys on site selection and and what is a really good opportunity for someone especially new into the commercial real estate side what is a good investment getting started because the first investment is going to be the most important it also seems like uh like environmental of 
buying and selling these? Like, I, I imagine you guys have to do like the APA reports and all that, correct? That's right. Okay. A little bit, little bit different than houses. <laughs> A little more documentation. Um, I guess let's let's walk through like what are you looking for a site selection? Let's say we're doing a car wash here. What is what are the things that you're looking for when doing? And are you looking for site selection? Like, are are these guys building or are they just like buying a already repositioning, repositioning or just taking over one that already exists or all three? All three, you know, I think, but I think it goes. I think it goes both ways. If it's uh, retail car wash, you know, restaurant, whatever it is for site selection, I think I think the most important thing, specifically for the car wash, though, in order would be traffic counts, you know, being accessible and visible to a lot of traffic, you know, let's say 40,000 cars a day at a minimum um, is going to be a successful site. Now, a lot of people are one block away from success. If they go, if they try to cut corners and go, you know, kind of behind a a shopping center or behind a Starbucks and, and they're not visible, you know, I would advise these clients to pay a little bit more to be on the street that's going to capture the traffic. I'd say that, go ahead. I'm sorry, it just reminds me of a story from Jim Collins in Good to Great where he's talking about Walgreens, I think. Yeah. And they would literally, have you heard the story? Yeah, they literally no. take a Walgreens that was in the middle of the of the block, mm-hmm. bulldoze it or sell the building, and then build one, making sure that it was on the corner of the street. <laughs> and then like they, they just no matter what they'd be willing to pay and it's an interesting thing I mean, then, and then cvs would just copy them and put them on the adjacent corner of the street every single time but <laughs> which is why cvs's are all dirty yeah <laughs> <laughs> when you when you're driving around just just look where walgreens is are at they are at all the best locations they are i don't know I, they seem to be equally as good as cvs because it's just one's on one <laughs> corner of the block and one's on the other adjacent corner <laughs> Yeah, but you know the Walgreens is going to have been cleaned sometime in the past decade. So, <laughs> well, I, I like your statement. I'm not sure where all to use it, but you can be just one block away from success. That has yeah. a lot of implications to it. I think it, it's interesting because in, in residential real estate, I mean, I guess you could be. You know, sometimes you cross the street and you're in a bad area, but generally it's like one house. Like it, you just like okay, it's is on a busy road. You just subtract five percent, ten percent near a train track, whatever. Just take off. It's like it's much smaller percentages. Okay, there's something wrong with this property versus something that's a block or half a block away. Take off five percent. Take off ten percent. Whatever. With commercial, it's like take off fifty percent. It's like it has to be because this needs to garner an income. It's not where just somebody can live and it's not quite as convenient. It's got to garner not only garner sort of re- uh, gross revenue, but if it's if it's just twenty percent less than gross revenue, it's not profitable. Exactly. And so, and there's that difference between being the black and being the red is the difference between staying in business and having a, a building that you can actually rent out successfully and one that you cannot. So, yeah, I think that's a great point. I'd imagine those secondary locations too. You know, if traffic's normally forty thousand a day, I don't know how much it dropped. You know, I, I didn't look at the the data, but I know San Diego normally is a parking lot between four to six. Yep, yep. and I was able to like no you know no stop and go hardly any traffic for several weeks so i'd imagine if you were the guy who was counting on the trickle over when the other one was busy right (laughs) if you were the the cvs of car washes then like well the the main one was always available like there was no line right so Mm -hmm. I, i imagine those guys got just absolutely clobbered absolutely i i definitely do feel for 
folks that launched a new business in February. Um, we saw several new rush. We live in a pretty trendy part of San Diego called Hillcrest. And there's all kinds of restaurants and stuff within walking distance. And the amount of restaurants, stores, juice bars, bars that launched in February and then permanently closed. I mean, it's, you know, you had people bet it all on black yeah. and not be able to go a couple months with very, very, very little sales, which obviously, you know, they couldn't have really predicted, but um, def definitely interesting. So I'm curious on the buyers and sellers of these. Is that like there's kind of some mom and pop folks who own a gas station that are then going to like sell it to like a shell or like, like who's, who's buying and selling these? How's yeah, that work? That's a great question. And it's, you know, the gas and car wash business is so fragmented compared to restaurant retail. I mean, with restaurants, you see Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, Starbucks, all the, the big guys. And with car wash, uh, particularly, it's so fragmented, you'll see mom and pops everywhere. There's you know, institutional buyers like Mr. Car Wash, which you guys might see in those markets you're in, or um, in Eugene, you'll see, you know, um, Wash Boys or something like that. Uh, but they're just really smaller chains that are buying. And then there's private equity groups. But in this COVID, in this COVID time, a lot of the private equity has come from healthcare, it's come from grocery stores, it's come from people that have actually profited from this recession. And, and the 1031 buyers just don't exist right now. Uh, they've been, there've been a lot less of those. And so the, the, the car wash. So you guys real, real quick, just to highlight that. So you guys were seeing people, you know, 1031, well, you have to go like to like, so I guess they couldn't sure. go residential to a gas station, but they could probably go like multifamily over to a different commercial, correct? Or hotel or, you know, multi-tenant retail strip center that they sold. Things like that. Looking Shopping for something center. easier. Yep, that's low labor. Okay. They don't they don't think they'll have to spend a lot of time on it, which actually they they will. Um, <laughs> the grass isn't always greener. <laughs> it's, I just try to tell them, you know, if you think it's going to be just, a, you know, put your money somewhere and don't work on it, it's not going to work. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, it sounds like your recommendation, if I'm somebody that, is looking to get into commercial or looking to change what sort of commercial I'm in. I mean, if it were me, I would be looking for government tenants. I would be looking for medical tenants. Mm -hmm. um, I would be looking for like, maybe if you're a warehouse space for like a, you know, obviously not an Amazon, but that sort of like a, you know, more of an online business. Well, I guess real quick, how do you see industrial right now? You see that pretty strong and getting stronger, or is that like just the amount of warehouse space? Particularly, that, that's something Amazon needs for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think I think there's only so many Amazons though. Um, I don't spend a whole lot of time on industrial. I think there's different markets that have been a lot more successful with industrial. Uh, whatever whatever markets are really growing, and there's you know like medical here in nashville is, is spurring a lot of growth you know in austin it's the tech industry and so there's always going to be room for industrial when there's growth um but i don't i don't know exactly how that will be affected during this recession it sounds like if i'm going commercial i'm sticking with medical or government tenants <laughs> would be would be the ideal 
I think medical is if you if you own a commercial building and you can lease to a medical tenant, that's going to be your best tenant. Basically, credit they usually can you know stick to a, a healthy support a healthy rent number, um, and they're going to be a good credit credit tenant for a long time. Interesting. So, what Thomas do you see as uh, somebody who's kind of curious about the commercial space has been mostly a residential purchaser and i mean where should they start um particularly given maybe some of the opportunities that are going to come our way with uh buildings that are going to go down you know mm -hmm. because they're just not leasable in their in their present form anymore and um where should somebody start what kind of maybe where, where can they make some baby steps into commercial purchases sure. i think it's a great question bill i think like you said, the, the, the opportunities of people going out of business is as sad as that is to say, I think, you know, restaurant, I, I wouldn't recommend on the, on the first investment building something ground up. I think there's, you know, hurdles that you'll come across with the city and site plans and construction and things like that. I think you can really get your feet wet in taking over an existing space. Let's say a uh, Walgreens went out or CVS, you know, I, there's a lot of corners that are really solid, uh, that have gone out of business where you can, you can acquire and, and put in some great tenants. I would also try to see if you can let the tenant drive the acquisition. If you can find, if you know where a tenant is looking and they've got good credit and you can acquire something that you think that they will lease at a value that is, that the landlord doesn't know. Uh, you can you can buy it for a lot cheaper, you know. Put a, a high credit tenant with a high NOI into the building, and then your cap rate's a lot better um, once you own it. Uh, just a quick question, keep going. But what's a what's the difference percentage wise from a tenant commercial tenant who's looking to purchase or one that's looking to lease that you would be trying to find? I think you know I would. If, if I'm a developer or owner of the real estate, I would much rather uh, lease it to a tenant, right? And, and, and have a, a much higher cap rate. I think it's, you know, four to 5% um, with someone like a medical tenant that has good credit. And, and that's what you're going to capture. Um, I think as opposed to just buying it, you know, having a tenant go buy it itself. Right. I guess I'm just asking how many tenants out there are willing to purchase versus more much more interested in leasing. Gotcha. And and you having that opportunity to be the one who purchases the building and then finds the strong uh tenant to to uh, lease it from you. You know, I think I think there's actually a lot more that that like to lease. Um you know, you'll see and if you can get a ground lease, if you own the the ground and you can get a ground lease, that's going to be the the best option, the most profitable option for the landlord. Um, but I think, I think your, your odds are pretty high. If, if you can buy something, you'll have a tenant come lease it. And, and again, in a good, in a good corridor, a good real estate site selection. As somebody who's out there looking for, looking at real estate every day, uh, what are the opportunities to, to come across commercial property that you aren't maybe that familiar with, but then you could, um, you could get it under contract. You could flip flip the contract to somebody, um, you know, and get your feet wet that way into commercial real estate. A hundred percent. I think 
a, a lot of, of what I do is, is that just that bill and finding opportunities. I think taking into consideration what we talked about earlier, traffic is the most important thing, density, retail synergy, and then growth or competition of whatever kind of use you're looking to put in there. And so I think if, if those things check out and you can find something, and a lot of the best commercial opportunities to get started in that you can flip or assign a contract to are going to be, they're not going to be on CoStar, LoopNet, or on MLS, things like that. They're going to be something that you drive by and see that they just closed. And, and if you see a multi-tenant retail building where the restaurant went out, but dang, that is a killer location, tons of traffic outside. And you call the the owner of the building and say, "Hey, look, this is this is what I'd like to offer you," and you know what the real value of it is, and you can get it under market, put it under contract. The likelihood of you being able to flip it is pretty high. So you mentioned, and I'm I'm imagining this is something that they would want to talk to a local commercial broker and figure out, like, "Hey, in this small town, what is the general cap rate these are trading at?" Right. Yeah. And then yeah, I think you mentioned like a four to five cap. I think a, a four to five cap on like a Chick-fil-A or, or something with just crazy Starbucks, something like that. I think we're really looking in the range of seven to eight. I think getting started, at, I would say that's where you want to try to land. If, if you can't, if I mean, maybe nine, you know, but I think. Sorry to cut you off. No, <laughs> so. All right. So let's say I talk to brokers in my market and figure out like the typical restaurant space with, um, well, I, I guess step one, how do you run comps on these? Is that like a co-star thing? Is that an MLS thing? Like how, how do I even go about valuing what's going on in my market to know if I'm getting a deal or not? For sure. I think, you know, coast, you can find comps on CoStar, a system that I really like to use is called Crexi. It's Commercial Real Estate Exchange and C-R-E-X-I. And so that's a really good comp system. Um, you know, I, I think I think really you've, you've got to rely on a really strong broker is what it boils down to, though. I think having a broker that understands, you know, site selection and, and what the value of the real estate is, analyzes growth in the market. I think those are the things. And and from what I understand in residential, it's a little bit different in terms of comps through MLS, but I think analyzing growth and traffic counts and things like that is really going to determine the value of the real estate. Got what it. are some of the good websites or services, paid or not, that can analyze things like, uh, can give you data on traffic counts, demographics, et cetera? So one of my favorites is a, a system called Esri. And it's ESRI, also known as STDB, which stands for Site to Do Business. And so what that does is it allows you to put a map together of all the restaurants, if you want to look at restaurants, or car washes, if you want to look at car washes. Uh, you can overlay traffic counts onto the main streets to really look at, okay, how much traffic is on the street? What is it facing? You can layer density and see how many people are there today and then how many people will be estimated to live there within the next five years. And so you can really look at a map with all the things that you really factor into site selection. You can look at incomes, um, all the whole thing. And so that's, that's a system that I really like to use uh, when mapping everything out. 
So Crexi for comp, C-R-E-X-I, and uh, Esri, S-E-S-R-I for um, for uh, demographics and uh, traffic counts and things like that. Okay, excellent. Are these websites? Are these services? What what are these exactly? They're services in in, in comparison. I mean, there's as you guys know, tons of services and platforms out there to use that are expensive and these are actually relatively affordable and, and they're the best I've seen um, in terms of what they provide. Crexy, you know, it, it allows me to confidentially, as, as confidential as I want it to be, send it out, send listings out to, you know, specific buyers, put it on the market. You know, CoStar and LoopNet do the same thing, right? They, you can, you can put it out there like an MLS kind of, um, but Crexy is my favorite from that regard. And then Esri, I think it's, I don't know, maybe a thousand bucks a year or something like that. It's, I mean, it's not, not crazy. And same with, I think Crexy is 200 a Which month. Which Esri product are you using? It's a site to do business. So there's a business analyst in there. Okay. And um, that's my favorite. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do with it. Comps, you can prepare demographic reports, all kinds of demographic reports, um, you know, maps. Every, I mean, everything you could really ask for from a commercial real estate standpoint is is going to be in there. Okay, cool. No, I think that's super helpful just to kind of give people like a little bit of a, like if you stumble on, like we've had random leads of like a gas station, right? Sure. And I'm like, I have no clue. <laughs> right? Call me, right? <laughs> so, oh, there you go. Call Thomas. Um, but that's that's good to know of kind of some of the things to look at and look for. I guess, how do you go about cultivating relationships with potential buyers or potential sellers for that matter? I mean, what, what's your what's your general approach to that? Sure. I think, well, there's trade shows that I attend that are specific to gas stations and car washes and then restaurants and retail. I think face-to-face is always great. Um, I think for, I spend a lot of time on the road meeting with people that have portfolios with gas stations or car washes, and they want to put their um, business in the best position to succeed. And, and that's what I'm passionate about. And so I think just get, getting on a plane and, and sitting down with these guys is, has been a, a lot of my time spent. How are you, how do you find them though? And I think that Esri tool, I know going back to that has been, has been a lot of it. It's been, um, you know, being able to map it out and look at the entire country and, and, um, really look at it from a 30,000 foot view and say, okay, look, these are the ones that need to be consolidated. These are the ones that need to grow. Here's how I can have a strategic approach to help these guys, as opposed to just kind of shooting from the hip. And so if these guys call and say they want help, I, I'm educated in where they are in the market and what they probably need to do. Does Esri give you owner info? Um, no, I use a system called Land Vision. I'm just pulling everything out of you, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great, though. I, and Land Vision is another one that's r- really affordable, and it's really great. You can... You can click on a, a piece of property and address. You can highlight it and it'll give you the parcel size. It'll give you the ownership information. It'll give you, you know, really what you need to know from a, you know, specifics standpoint with, with real estate. And so that's what I'll do. 
I know where Ryan's going. I mean, he's going to uh, find all the owners, and then he's going to uh, <laughs> I'm going to sell their contact he's info. He's going to, you. to send a mailing <laughs> saying I'm interested <laughs> in your property, and it seems like that that's that com- brings us right back to residential is is just to find owners directly as much as you possibly can, and uh, if you find them in a situation in life where they do want to sell, whether it's a strip mall or um, some, some kind of uh, retail kind of uh, property, that that's the best way to do it, you know, or to at least stir up the waters and possibly find some opportunities you wouldn't otherwise. Absolutely, Bill. Have you, have you ever done mailings before, Thomas? Or do you know anybody who's done mailings to like car wash owners? Guys, y'all are just really on to something right now. <laughs> <laughs> Should we partner? You want to partner together on that? Go ahead okay. and hit me up, Thomas. I, you know, Jandy was telling Jandy was telling me a little bit about you, Ryan, and I was scratching my head thinking, man, we could do some damage. So Yeah, I, hit me up. I'm all for it. I uh, I would love to talk to you about that, actually. I I um have used a system called Constant Contact. It's mm-hmm. and, and Crexy does it too, right? Where you can import the emails and send a blast and um and it will you know through the email system they'll get an email say miracle real estate or the good stewards you know it'll it'll show up as an email and you can see the flyer and things like that but really some sometimes it's ineffective because people swipe it under the rug as opposed to a direct mail which is a lot more effective in my opinion um well i think it's also just like I don't know. It's kind of like getting a text out of nowhere. It's a little like, yeah, nope, not interested and kind of want to know how you found my contact info. Exactly. Right. Excellent. Well, I think we're a bit over the 30 minute mark here. Um, We will wrap it up. I think you've got a long list of different websites to view and a good introduction into commercial real estate and where it's probably going, I guess nobody knows for certain. But Thomas, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, is there anything, any other ways people can reach out to you if you, or any, anything you'd like them to know going out here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my, my website is miracle-re.com. That's miracle-re.com. And so my email and contact information is on there and I'm accessible. I'm, I'm easy to talk to. Call me anytime and would love to chat with you more about it. And you're in the Nashville market. Is that the only is that the only market you operate in? Or are you operating in several markets if people are interested in looking into commercial real estate or looking to uh looking for someone to help them with that process or Yeah, I, I have local partners uh, throughout the country in, in every major market, but I'm a licensed broker in several states, including Texas, Tennessee, Colorado, and Utah. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Well, definitely, if you're looking for commercial real estate uh, in any of those areas, definitely reach out to Thomas. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, go to our website, goodstewards.com. Check out our, uh, subscribe to our podcast, and we will see you next time. Thank you, everyone. Thanks so much, guys.